I'm Mark Stedman, and this is not my first temporal anomaly. I'm Joe Bands, and I met with environmentalists at lunchtime and had them all shot. I'm John Hickman, and probably not for the first time, I seem to be having tremendous difficulty with my lifestyle. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard, leopard. From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We are on our final leg of the S section. So, let us begin straight away. I, I'd i say that let us begin straight away, gentlemen, but mm-hmm. I feel, after having listened back to a couple of episodes, that this might not be the most accessible programme to the new listener. So, hi, new listener. <laughs> every, uh, every every issue has a new listener, or whatever it was that... Uh, it's not. It's definitely not what Spike Lee said, but... Um, Do you mean Stanley or... Because I, I would be good if I knew something yeah, else. Yeah, no, it's definitely. Like, it would Stanley. be good if I knew something about comics that you didn't. Because okay. I was just thinking, it's normally a lot more black people swearing and anything spikely. I was, I, I was wondering why Spike Lee was talking about issues. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, he calls them joints. Thank you, Spidey friends. Uh, Stanley um, Excelsior. Mm, and uh, so this is this is uh, a podcast where we go through everything that Douglas Adams created in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that has maybe more than three words about it, uh, and we we do it all in alphabetical order. So uh, you're a bit late, but it's okay. Um, you can go back through the alphabet, and uh, I encourage you to do so. Uh, so if you sorry, assuming you've done that, right? Welcome back. Hello. It's been a while, hasn't it? Can you do a previously on? Kind uh, of previously on here. the alphabet. Um, a. <laughs> hey. Uh all right well uh with now now that now that we're all on, uh, on the same page let us begin. Hot Black Desiato's band uh, had a completely black stunt ship that dives into the sun on Cacrafoon as part of the um climax of a gig. Uh John Bounds, have you ever performed any stunts, publicity or otherwise? Yes. <laughs> cool. Um well all sorts, actually. I really like, I mean, I really like the instance. I don't, I, so I don't actually find, um, sort of like physical danger or exhilaration, uh, fun. So I don't, <laughs> I don't like, um, roller coasters. Oh. Don't see the point in them. Oh, mate. Don't like horror films. Oh. Don't see the point in them. Don't even really like thrillers because it all turns out all right in the end. So what's the point in, uh, particularly stressing about how you get there? Not in all of them. Oh, the Swedish ones, yeah. Well, I can't be asked. <laughs> but anyway, Not necessarily, um, John. So, but but I was thinking about I was thinking about the stunt, the old uh, concept of the stunt, and that and it's a stunt if essentially you are not really risking anything. Mm. Um, it's like uh, a stunt is um, falling. Oh no, I've run into an alleyway and fell over. Oh, it's luckily there's lots of empty cardboard boxes here. <laughs> Um, or, uh, oh no, I've, I don't know, I've been attacked. Like, um, when the, a police dog display team catch the burglar, and luckily the burglar's always stolen a great big false arm. <laughs> <laughs> they do love a false arm. But, it, but so st- stunts themselves are not that interesting. But I don't like any of that physical attention. But if anybody asks me if I want to do something, uh, you know, jump out of a plane, jump off a thing, abseil or whatever, I go, yeah, go on then. And uh, so I've done lots of things like that. But publicity stunts, <laughs> as you mentioned, are far more interesting because you don't even have to do them. <laughs> you just have to be able to write press releases <laughs> that suggest you've done them. People will believe them and it becomes a sort of common law mm. that you have done them. For example, someone the other day, 
uh, got in contact with me and asked me to uh, if I could tell them about the time that I organised Dexy's Midnight Run. Ah, uh, yes. Which was a uh, five-kilometre road race uh, where people were dressed in the uh, garb of the band Dexy's Midnight Runners, which um, is donkey jackets, um, uh, woolly hats, jeans and bother boots. Um, and uh, I told them, well, we hadn't actually done it. But we'd made a website and sent a press release out, <laughs> and so it's gone into uh, it's got it's gone into fallen back the in. annals of history. Yeah, yeah. If you uh, print, if uh, you know, print the legend, as they say. Yes. But um, what I did uh, find out that um, after a few weeks after that, I didn't do that was um, that some people had turned up ready to do it. <laughs> Oh, did they do it? I've got no idea. I've got no idea how to organise a 5k road race. I've got no idea. I mean, I, I assume they, this is before the days of the park run where anybody could organise a road race without paying any council tax or dues or anything. Um, just turn up and be all happy, clappy. Let's have a bit of cake and it's all all right. Um, you probably have to get licenses or something. I don't know. It's all a bit Christian, isn't it? Uh, so if, if people turn up for a Dixie's been don't run and you're not there to see them, do they make a sound? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and is there anyone to shout, come on, Eileen? We, we briefly uh, talked about, um, actually doing it. Um, after the fact because i mean yeah i remember the whole the whole publicity around it but this is about 10 years ago but then actually doing it again and there was there was um someone con- contacted uh john and me and we oh, let's do this thing and I was, I was going yeah okay we could do it my main problem with it is is that um i couldn't be bothered to find the clothes john <laughs> that, that's that's why i was i was hoping the other person was going to really push on with it because i was just like Oof. do you really need another trip down to a charity shop I, yeah i could turn yeah and they won't have the things you want they won't have them in my size as you no. know i've talked about this before danny would be fine he'd have the oh, right yeah. outfit lots of <laughs> lots of old, lots of old men are slightly round around the middle but the, i know but let's be honest if i've never been into a charity shop where there wasn't a donkey jacket and a pair of jeans and a black hat i think you'd yeah. probably be all right might be might be the boots that might be a bit more hard to source but yes and also, you know, crucially not good for running in. That was the joke, isn't it? Well, no, I, I mean, I, I mean, I understand that. <laughs> I thought I was just contributing to the bit, John. Oh, sorry. But obviously not. <laughs> yes, that's the joke. That's actually the hardest bit, was I'd promised them a Dexy's Midnight Runners tribute act at the end of it, and there aren't any. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is one, and it's in Hull or something, and I wasn't going to pay for him to come down. Uh, and now uh, we celebrate another important voice in the Hitchhiker's Canon. Susan Sheridan played Trillian in the radio series. She died in 2015, but had a good career as a voice actor with credits including Budgie the Little Helicopter and a uh, personal favourite of mine, Jimbo. So Budgie the Little Helicopter is essentially a rip-off of uh, Jimbo and the Jet Set. Yeah, it's all aircraft mm. with scale issues. Yeah. Is she... Um She's essentially a typecast <laughs> <laughs> as, as uh, aeronautic devices. But the most interesting thing about Budgie's Little Helicopter is, of course, who is it created by? I don't remember. John? Uh, um, am I supposed to know the answer? It's very famous. Is it a famous sort of studio? Uh, no, no, it's a, it's a famous... Well, God knows what... Uh, uh, it's, it's a famous... Let's say no. <laughs> Let's say I don't know. 
Budgie the Little Helicopter, created by uh, Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of York. Oh, my gosh. Goodness gracious. This does ring a bell. She wrote the original books that it was based on, at least. Um, I say wrote. It's a children's books don't have many words in, so <laughs> you could probably just knock over a uh, pencil case and a children's book comes out the other end of it. For example, the Gruffalo. Everybody loves this bloody Gruffalo. <laughs> the mouse in it is the single most vile character in popular fiction. No other character, not Patrick Bateman from American Psycho, not <laughs> Travis Bickle deserves their head kicked in as much as that bloody mouse. That's why he got played by James Corden in the TV show, obviously. Oof. Uh, well, now, um, it's been a while since we've had one of these. Swat is a swear word. S-W-U-T. Swat. Swear word. John Hickman, can you use it in a sentence? I, I don't fracking know how to use that goram word in a sentence, you smeghead. I, 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 I don't even know what it means, mate. I, 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 uh, ah. mm. where, where, do you, where do you place it in the canon here? Can I call someone this or is it an action that somebody does ah. or or is it or does it just describe a property of somebody yes um or or is it one of the ones that does a bit of, a bit of everything i i think because i uh, it, it gets used a couple of times once by the guide uh, in reference to swearing in general right once i believe that uh, i uh, i believe that zaphod says it and he uses it as a sort of substitute for sodding mm-hmm. if you like um, just, I think he he says, just sweating, help me, right, or something along those lines. When he's dangling off, so you can be a swat and you can um, and you can swatting. So John's essentially asking if a, a space Irishman could say the swatting swatters swat. Yes, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see why not. And I, I mean, I'm not entirely sure why it's a space Irishman, but yes, all planets have an island. Uh, Absolutely, they do. Oh, actually, um, if listeners can help me, oh. there is a there was a television children's television program in the late eighties, probably, which featured a gang of space pirates and they were Irish space pirates. Um, and they were robotic Irish space pirates and used to go, bless you, your honor. You're a lovely man. There is a TV show called space pirates. I don't think but that's modern. That. That's a modern one. Cause it's, it's, it's got one of Chris Moyles's lot in it. If any of our 40 year old listenership can, um, uh, remember that please, but geeky listenership. We like the space and all that. I'm not sure you needed to specify geeky. <laughs> So the Babelfish issue with this, then, mm. would it not translate it, this word to sod, or does it mean something very unique? Now, I'm going to suggest perhaps that Belgium, which we discussed before, yes. is a frighteningly rude word, yes. um, and it's only ever allowed to be uttered um, where they don't know what it means, which <laughs> presumably is here. Right. Um, I wonder if the Babelfish has some mechanism by which it perhaps protects the the sensitive ear of its owner <laughs> and certain words are left untranslated. Or or perhaps uh, we're already meant to know what SWAT means. It's already supposed to be in our vocabulary, so we don't need it translated for us. It's a good it's a it's a good pitch for a Black Mirror episode. Oh yeah. And now to a Brownian motion-inducing liquid. Tea is a substance that can be used to power a finite improbability generator or for confusing a machine into giving you a substance that's almost, but not quite, indistinguishable from it. 
It is now available in most mega markets in easy to swallow capsules. I'd just like to say at this point that anybody who uses the term builder's tea uh, should be shot. Um, but I bloody, I bloody love tea. Um, don't you, John? You're going to have to walk us through that. You're going to have to. I don't think you can just leave that. I think you're going to have to walk people through the uh, your your dislike of the phrase builder's tea. Well, you tea. have to get you have to get um, you have to get a gun. And then you have to shoot these people in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's kind. Um, sure. Build, builder's tea is used by is, is used by people who've got different types of tea to um, to specify tea. <laughs> yeah. Do you want what for? What normal people would refer to as tea. tea, or if you're in a situation where there are other types of tea, proper tea. That is not my reading. Um, builder's tea for me has always basically meant. Um, strong and very sweet, uh, the, yeah. As opposed to uh, a, a, a question of the quality of tea. I've heard, I have heard it used to ref, re, to refer to a style of brew, but there is now this emerging phenomenon where it is used to describe what Twinings might call an everyday tea. Okay, well, what yes. some places might call an English breakfast tea. Yes. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, I, I, I just want to say, you know, first they came for the people who said builders tea and, and meant with three sugars, and, and I said nothing. So um, I, I just wanted to sort of... Collateral damage. No, no, it's fair, it's fair enough. It's They've ruined it for the rest of us. They're, they've spoiled all of our fun. You can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. No, all and, tea. And uh, you can't make a builders tea without getting shot in the back of the head. Um, no, tea is really important, and this is why I'm getting quite so uh, mm. het up about it. And that's the thing I have in common with uh, Douglas Adams himself, who uh, obviously mentions tea an awful lot in the Hitchhiker's mm-hmm. Guide. But um, in the uh, sort of um, late, uh, late 90s, I think, he, 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 he took it upon himself to write a proper guide for Americans onto how to make tea. Oh. And he put he put that on the h2g2.com we'll stick a link up and it's um mm-hmm. he he's um he's very interested in the east what you know he's saying oh, like if you order a tea in america you quite often got a cup of hot water and a tea bag and uh, some milk like a kit essentially <laughs> um and that's not a very good way to to make tea because and i think he he identifies correctly that the problem is that when you connect the uh, tea bag or the tea leaves, if you're so inclined, to the water, the water has to actually be as near as damn it at boiling point, mm-hmm. not simply warm, not simply boiled. It's why um, uh, Starbucks and other coffee shops don't make particularly good tea because it's the same hot water that's going through the coffee, which doesn't need to be boiling, mm. but it does it does for tea. And apparently, I've later found out that one of the reasons Americans don't drink tea is because they think it tastes horrible. And the reason they think it tastes horrible is because they always have it with hot but not boiling water. And the reason they don't have boiling water is none of them have kettles. And the reason they don't have kettles is their electrical system of different voltage would mean that those kettles would take a year to boil uh right um i just because i know someone who's going insane listening to this <laughs> and he's going insane so i just wanted to let you know that i have it on good authority that that's not true fair enough the the, the yeah the, the the thing about the the um voltage in the kettles yeah um because I said I put that to him at some point because I think we discussed it before and I, I think I put that thing to him and he was like 
no, no, that's not a thing. <laughs> so, um, so, but so there are, as we've established, even if I'm incorrect about why the Americans can't do it, there are there is a right way and a wrong way to make tea, and that's what Douglas um, points out. But what Douglas does not point out in his essay, and neither does George Orwell in his uh, similar essay, um, that there is an ISO standard for tea preparation. <laughs> it is the ISO standard three one hundred three. It is called tea, preparation of liquor for use in sensory tests. Liquor? Uh, yeah, that's what it says. I, it means, I think it means, li- I think it means liquid mm-hmm. in a sense. But, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a um, it's a sciencey word for some liquid. Sciencey word. We already have a sciencey word for liquid. It's, um, lads, it's, uh, it's liquid. Oh, I think it's because, I think it's because there's something suspension, some sort of suspension in the, in the water, mate. <laughs> okay. So basically this he says, and this is the crucial point. If the tea involves milk, then it is to be added before pouring the infused tea. Yes, correct. Well, that's correct. Yes, the ISO standards say that. Yeah. Um, that is correct if you're taking your tea from a pot. If you're doing it in the cup, then you add the milk at the end. Well, that's certainly easy. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Because otherwise you've got a tea bag that's got milk in it. And cold tea because it's been brewing with, it's been having a mash with milk in it. Have, having a mash, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so basically the thing to remember here is whether it's a pot or whether it's a cup, at no point should there be milk in a tea bag. If you've got milk in a tea bag, then you've made a grave error. Does ISO allow for Does ISO allow for making tea in the mug, John? Um, not in the Not in the uh, documentation that I've uh, read. I've read no. Um, it is apparently um, for large scale um, brewing. So uh, your your urns more than your uh, more than your single um, tetley uh, one cup, which is around because it fits snugly in the bottom. Of your, your tea yeah. urns, great praise. <laughs> would you like? A, uh, would you like a tea urn? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bert. Bert. Um, so um, t- tea comes with it, or uh, tea. Yeah, it, it, it is part of a ritual. Tea itself is a ritual. Um, so whether it's part of your morning ritual uh, or, you know, the, the tea itself has a ceremony to it. Um, I, I'd like e- I'd like either or both of you to walk me through your your sort of your your the highest of tea ceremonies. You know, how is uh, you know, what do you do? What is the order? What do you, you know? What do you revere? Um, what are the flourishes that you can add to improve? You know, are you like Mrs. Doyle? placing an optional biscuit and um, perching it um, so that it looks like a soldier standing beside a giant cup of tea. I have a tea ritual, which I believe is not endorsed by the British Dental Association, but as we all know, they're only actors. <laughs> <laughs> which is which, which is this. The recommended brew time for my preferred tea bag, uh, which is uh, a, a, a clipper, clipper every day, um, is, uh, is about two minutes. And um, I've got a lucky toothbrush and the timer on that is two minutes. Ah. So here's how the hustle goes, right? You put the kettle on, you get your tea bag in your cup, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait until it clicks off. You pour the water on, you walk upstairs and then you get really cross that your other half's already in the bathroom and you go, I've got a brew on. I've got a brew on. What's going on here? Um, um, and then you have to go and throw the tea away or they're not in the bathroom. You go in, you brush your teeth. That's your two-minute timer downstairs. Finish your cup of tea. Take your cup of tea to bed, despite the fact you've already brushed your teeth. I don't mind a cup of tea, after, a few sips of tea, taste of the mint's gone. It's fine. But probably I'm putting sugar all over my teeth after I've brushed them, which is probably probably not 
Probably not bad. Okay, a few questions. Yep, sure. <clears throat> you have sugar in your tea? No. Thank you, that was question the first. No, there's, there's, but I, I had milk and there's, there's sugars in milk. Ah, okay. All right, nice. Good. Two minutes. Yep. Doesn't feel long enough. But then I think I've had this conversation before and this might be my Irish heritage. I'm not sure because I think Danny, in fact, John, you were much the same. I think Mr. Bounds, you were like, no, 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 you don't want to, you know, you, you, there's, you've got to have, like, you've got to be boiling the kettle ready for the next one. Like you want, you want to be mm. getting a, getting a shove, you know, getting a shove on. Um, so mm. give it a swish and a swash and a, and a squash with the back of a teaspoon. Yeah. Mm. Speed is of the essence. I've done that. I've, I've done that wrong before though. I've split the tea bag. Ooh. Yeah. The good thing about cl- Clipper is, is that it's, um. Is it a quick release? It's a, no, no, no. It, it, <laughs> it is a cup, is a cup of tea that will be ready after a couple of minutes. Um, mm-hmm. but the extra bit of time I get for walking upstairs mm. and, and, and walking back down and then. Yeah. You're adding a, an extra like 30 seconds there at least. Getting the milk out and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's about, yeah, it's about three minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the good, really good thing about that particular brand is, um, it doesn't get overly tanniny and bitter. If you let it seep for too long, uh-huh. so it can t- it can take five or six minutes in the cup un- untouched, and it will be glorious. The only other tea that that can really achieve that is your Yorkshire, mm-hmm. um, Tetley's. Fuck off! No, that would be in the bin if I left it for five minutes. Yeah, Yorkshire has become the preferred um, uh, tea that uh, that. Yeah, within, within my certainly within my family, um, Yorkshire has. It's the IBM of tea. <laughs> Big brown, Big brown. That's entirely something else. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, the, the Yorkshire also do a hard water blend, which is crucial for them. Danny Dyer's favourite one. Yeah, <laughs> it's cru- yeah, it's, cru- it's crucial. You need you need it. You definitely need it. Frankly. Wasn't that a Keanu Reeves film? Actually, hard water. Wasn't it? It's hard rain. Hard rain. It could- I would quite like to see Keanu, Re- Keanu Reeves has to descale his kettle. Keanu Reeves, oh no, his washing machine's only got a shelf life of five years. Oh, uh, imagine Keanu. Because <laughs> he refuses to buy Calgon because it. You know how Keanu Reeves is this sort of notorious for being just a very, very lovely gentleman? Mm-hmm. So I just ima- I, I, I just imagining now Keanu Reeves making tea for the, tea for the builders, for a better word. Mm. And just, just being quite, fu- uh, having quite a fuss about things. I bet, I bet, I bet he's got pink wafers out and everything. He'd make a little spread, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd, he'd put some sandwiches out. The yeah. little, little, little triangly ones with the crusts cut off. Yeah, yeah. Have you got a favourite mug for your tea? Well, for, be- before we get, before we get to that, I'd, I'd like to hear, um, John's tea ritual. Um, oh, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really have one. I'm quite, um, I'm quite relaxed. Uh, Ketlon. Mug out, bag in, water boils, pour it in, a little bit on the work surface, a little bit on your hand probably. Um, <laughs> little splash of milk on the work surface usually. Yeah, yeah. And then the uh, then you have to get the uh, dishcloth out and wipe the bottom of the cup, mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to leave rings everywhere. A ring, yep, yep, yep. Um, I mean, John, you, 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 drink you, you it, spilled the water repeat and the then phrase. you spilled the milk. Like, you know, it's the definition of madness doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Just move the mug, mate, the second time. <laughs> it's like, um, it's not, it's not like I wasn't moving things to the mug. If I, the mug was somewhere else, that's just even more confusing. It's, um, it'd be in a different place and then it'd, it's, yeah. it's, 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 um, it's like it's a knockout me making a cup of tea, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> when you're wearing a big sumo seat or something. So, uh, yeah, fa- favorite mugs then. Favorite mugs. I've broken all of mine. God, that's a sad. There, there are, there is, um, a, the, I, as far, I'm as far as I'm concerned. There is a strict hierarchy of mugs through the right. cupboards. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very much with you. So you've got your, you've got your favourites. So we've got two 
mugs that are slightly bigger and slightly thicker than all the other mugs. Yes. And those are the two that I always make the morning cup of tea in. Right. And those mugs will be used for as long as you can sustain having mugs of tea out of the same mugs until you think, oh, God, I better wash them. Right. Yes. But then if someone else is around, there's um, there's the, the ones that we bought from... The, from some, you know, from somewhere that was a quite a nice place, and there's the one with a swear word on it, so you can't give it, to, you can't give that to a guest, and there's the one with a chip at the bottom, you can't, oh, you can't give that to anybody, and there's the ones that your mum and dad gave you that for free promo ones with Nescafe that aren't really big enough for a cup of tea, mm. no, and they and those are all stacked up the back of the cupboard, so you only get to them if you haven't been doing the washing yeah. up, mm-hmm. and then there are the um, two that were left from slightly different sets. That have mm-hmm. all gone there. The two survivors, the last of their kind, sort of like I don't know, the the last of the Mohicans or the uh, the last human or Doctor Who. Apparently, is the last of his kind, isn't he? Um, just sort of sitting there, travelling through the uh, the sort of cycle of cupboard and washing up bowl and being forgotten behind the curtain. They'll 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 um, they'll survive a few house moves. They'll be the ones that that will just they will keep you'll you'll box them up. And you'll you'll move to your new place, and you'll put them at the back of the cupboard again, and they'll just be there, just waiting for their time. Like one day he's going to need us. One day he's going to have a big, uh, he's going to have a, a big street party, and he's he's going to run out of all of the mugs. And you know what, lads, we'll be here, we'll be here, ready for him, sitting at the back here, gathering. <coughs> <laughs> gathering dust Whoa! but we'll be fine lads we can do this whenever he needs we'll be here lads have you seen now that was quite beautiful I, I, I'll, I be, I'll be honest i got quite I emotional it. i enjoyed that i could feel the music swelling beneath absolutely you. <laughs> have, have you have you seen this uh, whether this is a worldwide political phenomenon i don't know mm. but um both boris johnson and michael gove have come to the door with a tray of tea to present to uh, sort of doorstepping journalists mm. when they were in when they were in trouble for something <laughs> and they've brought out these trays and i'm convinced that these trays were full of mugs that were carefully procured and sorted for this particular purpose mm-hmm. these are not the everyday johnson or gove house tea drinking receptacles they were like, oh, here's a, here's a, here's a, a Cadbury's, um, you know, there's a sort of cream egg twirl thing. So sort of like, it's a Cadbury's cream egg twirl promotional mug. <laughs> oh, it's a great big sports direct mug. Mm. Oh God, those, those are too big for anything. It's a, it's, oh, it's a world's greatest foreign secretary <laughs> mug that was definitely not bought by himself. World's greatest dad one. Who'd that come from? <laughs> oh, well, who knows? Um, many candidates. My, my favorite one of this was Grant Shapps when he claimed that he'd read the Brexit bill while drinking 27 cups of tea and uh, and he had he had a fantastic um smorgasbord of uh, different mug varieties in front of him um very very contrived and clearly they were all clean and not had a cup of tea in them at all probably wasn't even his kitchen you'll be pleased to know uh, john that in the um the uh, the swedish uh, books that i i so adore <laughs> sure uh, sure another area um in which Stieg Larsson is able to put a lot of um, seemingly unnecessary detail, I call it colour, <laughs> is 
in, a shade of it is in the, is in the mugs that uh, certain drinks get drunk out of because mm. they've usually got uh, political parties and and things. So, uh, well, talking of uh, mugs that add, add colour, one of my favourite mugs, which unfortunately is smashed, was my uh, my Pantone orange mug. It's a very good tea mug. Oh, you! It's got, you. It's got, no, it's got a real nice, um, real nice thickness to it. Just, just, mm. just fine enough to make the tea taste good, but also heavy and sturdy enough for every day. Uh, recommend that one. If anybody wants to get me a Christmas present, I'd quite fancy a, a Ed Miliband um, 2015 election Labour controls on immigration. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, that's on everybody's Amazon wish list, isn't it? And now, for something rather fatuous. A teaser is usually a rich kid with nothing to do. They cruise around looking for planets which haven't made interstellar contact yet and buzz them, which involves strutting back and forth wearing silly antenna on their heads and making beep-beep noises. When I first heard about teasers as a teenager, it struck me as one of the most plausible ideas in the Hitchhiker's universe. Mr Hickman, am I wrong? Uh, I mean, the the idea that... These these aliens are actually teenagers. Explains all the anal probes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I kind of found it quite interesting to think about uh, the Star Trek movie First Contact through this lens. Um, and actually, probably the sorts of Vulcans who would turn up for that are probably just kind of pretentious teenagers, really. The Vulcans <laughs> generally are pretentious teenagers, aren't they? Yes. So I'm canonically accepting this for all of sci-fi. Yes. And now it's time to make a call. The Tempo phone is presumably a telephone that can make calls across various times. Ford advises Arthur never to call himself up from the future. John B, would you believe yourself if you called yourself from the future? If so, what would you advise yourself? Well, if it came from an unknown number, I wouldn't be picking up. Um, <laughs> no. So it'd be a voicemail from the future, uh, which I'd never listen to. Oh, it, it's, it is complicated, isn't it? Because um, I don't know if you're like me, but the phone is an absolute last resort. Oh, talking on it. Yeah. Oh, God, absolutely. And when people, uh, salespeople particularly, want to call you, it's because you're more persuadable on the phone than you are in any other medium. I think, mm-hmm. or would probably rather other than coming round to your house to put some dirt on your carpet and then um, not leave until you've <laughs> bought a vax. It's really because basically my um, primary objective uh, when on the telephone is to get off the telephone as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So I will agree to anything. If you ever want to get me to do anything, phone me up. And ask me to do it. And go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Noted. And if if I don't want to do it, I will then attempt to find a way not to do it afterwards but i will have agreed oh yeah um so it would be problematic for me to call myself um from the from the future because i don't like making telephone calls either because i always think i'm interrupting (laughs) someone so i would but possibly i'd ring myself because i would know that there were times i could i could pick a time in the past, where I know I was completely bored. And tell yourself <laughs> to make up. You could tell yourself to make up a, a, a an eighties band themed run, um, but but ensure that you never actually go on it. That sort of thing, yeah. But yes. Or or if there was a time when I needed uh, an you know an escape from an awkward situation, like a I don't know um, a funeral or something, and uh, <laughs> want someone to. I, 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 sorry, I couldn't think. I I could genuinely couldn't think of an awkward situation. Though. An awkward situation like. A wedding, I don't know, um, sure. or a christening. But if you if you found yourself, if you if you did find yourself up and you had a piece of advice, this, of course, not going to get into the, the sort of causality and everything because I'm assuming it hasn't happened to me yet because of, because I'd know about it and yeah. I'm 
I'm, I'm assuming that if it does happen to me, it's in the future. So there are very few, unless it's something simple like don't put your hand in that hole. Mm. I'm not sure I'm really going to be able to get get the message across. Wouldn't it be ironic if if every phone call that you that you get about the accident is actually yourself trying to warn you rather than <gasps> you hang up? I'm just phoning about the accident. Oh, get away. Get off my phone. And you hang up and you in the future is going, no, John, don't get in that lift. Perhaps, perhaps <laughs> it's you calling from the spirit realm and you're having to borrow the the voice of someone living. Uh, and so that's why they always sound like they're from Liverpool or Newcastle. <laughs> it's not the spirit realm now. Well, he's, yeah. just in, he's just in the Liverpool, Liverpool and Newcastle are unemployed, so they just give you their voices for a bit. They don't need them for <laughs> the, I'm now thinking that all those unknown numbers I'm not picking up is me calling from with advice from the future. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not listening. And finally, we celebrate a legend. Terry Jones played a parrot in the Starship Titanic video game and wrote a book called Starship Titanic based on a video game, but apparently in a different universe from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ooh, seems like something we uh, must address, really. Um, anyhow, he plays a parrot because Adams had discussed with Jones that most of the characters he played in Monty Python sketches and films sounded like parrots. He's not the Messiah! He's a very naughty boy! And so on. Ah, uh, Terry Jones, fantastic, fantastic man. Least convincing female impersonator since Jeanette Cranky. <laughs> <laughs> so um Terry Jones is uh is as a he's used his sort of historical knowledge in um Great Stead to make uh make the comedy as well, hasn't he? So yes. he was his sort of historical bent is I mean not only did he make the uh, Eric the Viking film, because I think the um mm. sort of Norse uh sort of raiding era was um re- you know part of his sort of historical studies, but he was the one that essentially made um Judea look right in mm-hmm. the life of Brian. Yes, and he was, he was artistic director. Oh no, that was that was um, Gillian. But yes, he yeah, absolutely. And he, he was also the 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 one that essentially uh, made sure that the um, the the Holy Grail is lots of people covered in shit. Yeah, I I think I, I remember. I think it was the, the well, no, I know it was. It was the director's commentary that I was listening to, and he he sort of felt that he possibly went overboard with that. But he'd apparently spoken to historians after the fact that said, "Yeah, that that looks really period accurate." And he'd said, "Honestly, like we put that joke in about he must be a king because he hasn't got shit all over him because it felt like we were possibly uh, hanging a lantern on it too much." But um, yeah, it's uh, obviously it's it was what the prevailing thought um, was at the time that that was what, what things were like in um, uh, nine hundred and or ninety six BC or whatever the um, nine hundred and six BC. I think that was it. I was thinking about Terry Jones when you when you posed the question. Yes, um, and that this my, my view may be coloured slightly by this this parrot thing, you know, um, because because mm. it, it is apt because. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy, and all those all those lines that he gets and spam egg chips and spam. But he did get all the pantoey bits, didn't he? He got the real. He got the bits that you could just really go absolutely the very hammy bits. Yeah, um, like he was the the minister um, that is delivering uh, a budget speech or whatever he's delivering while he's stripping. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, he got lots of those very, very, like the only sillier ones were the ones that didn't require any dialogue. And so those were given to Terry Gilliam. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, everyone, everyone he, he was kind of a foil for everyone else being the straight man in all the set, in all the sketches he did really, wasn't he? Yes. Unless he was doing the very uptight, 
um, bowler hatted yes. sort of um, gentleman, which he which he also did very well. Say no more, say no more, Shirley. Yes, absolutely. No, he did. Yeah. He did do um, that as well. Um, no, because I was just I was just wondering if that was if that was if that was about range or was that just because he was the little one maybe? What is your favourite uh, Terry Jones performance, Mark? You seem to be the man who uh, likes it a lot. Oh, that's hard. Um, possibly Sir Bevedere, uh, Bedivere, even Bedivere, Bedivere, Belvedere, Senator Belvedere, Senator Belvedere. It's uh, Senator Belvedere. That he plays, uh, yes, I, I think um, Bedivere is is possibly it's 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 quite difficult actually because um, I I like Terry Jones, but I don't know that there's that many Terry Jones characters that I like. It's weird. Um, I I certainly do. I like I like the screechy. Um, in, in completely uh, politically incorrect female characters, <laughs> I do like his parrots. Um, I yeah, I think watching, uh, as I said, watching uh, the life of Brian, the, the the one of the things we did this a while ago about words and phrases that either stick in your head or you automatically have a response for them. And whenever I hear, hear the word balm which is not that often, but it does happen, <laughs> then my head goes, it is a valuable bomb. A bomb? What are you giving him a bomb for? Quick, throw it in the trough. Um, and that whole little that whole little performance to begin with is is lovely. And, you know, I, I still remember watching that. I watched the first half of it when I got it for my uh, 15th birthday on VHS before I went to school and... Um, and and seeing that, and I think I think he also plays a cockerel uh, in in the same film who just goes cockadoodledoo, <laughs> which also makes me laugh quite a lot. So yeah, <laughs> I know what uh, to get you for Christmas. I've just uh, discovered there is a twelve-inch action figure of um, Terry Jones as uh, Sir Bedivere. Just a, a snip at one hundred and fifteen pounds, two pence Ooh. plus delivery. Crikey! So d- does the um does the little clear visor lift up? That's what I want to know. It has over 20 points of articulation. That's almost as many as me. Crikey. <laughs> Comes complete with duck for the testing of witches. <laughs> <laughs> we shall use my larger scales. So what about yours then, John? I, I, I don't know, actually. I, I mean, I think I it, I would probably uh, pump for something like the, 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 the bowl hat gent in the um, nudge nudge sketch i like i like that um that sort of offendedness that's when his welchness <laughs> comes most <laughs> out yes. and i was thinking of the um the sort of his uh for historical accuracy why he didn't persuade the rest of the pythons to let him play arthur since arthur was welsh uh-huh. if he indeed existed at all the uh that would have made a very different very, very different film i feel and that, dear listener, is where we leave you. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, go and have a cup of tea. Now that you know exactly how one is made, uh, go and go and enjoy a nice one and um, let us know how you take it. Uh, BTL Podcast is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can also find John Hickman on Twitter at John Hickman and you'll find John Bounds at Bounder. And uh, that will just about do it for this week. We will see you again next week. So until then, share and enjoy.
This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. And now, and now, and now to a Bronian motion. And now to a Bronian. Mm. Brownian motion. Yes. No, I know what the words are, <laughs> but my mouth won't make them. I had a potato today. I think that's what's happened, lads. <laughs> All right, Brian Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you about the taxi driver that I had um, at Christmas on my way to um, a Christmas do? We were we were in the pub on a Saturday afternoon, just lunchtime, having a few pints. We were off to watch uh, a non-league game of football that we'd sponsored. And our taxi driver outside of our local pub, Brian Harvey himself. Oh, no. <laughs> he came he came out of the car to open the back door for someone on the other side of the car. The car started rolling down the hill and he went to jump in and he smacked his head and cut his head open. Oh, man. <laughs> he managed to get the handbrake on. But basically, he brained himself on his own car whilst walking around there whilst it was bad. Oh no, my brain. And then then he drove us to certain coalfield in his car, bleeding out of his head, and we were going, please don't drive this car. No, I'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. You're not concussed. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm not concussed. You're concussed. Gosh. I think it was all okay. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah. <laughs> He's dead now. <laughs>